0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a bonus episode of What Could Go Right. I'm Emma Varvalukas, Executive Director of The Progress Network. This episode was recorded before the 2020 presidential election, but a lot of the discussion still applies today, so we hope that you find it informative. I'm Emma Barbara Lucas. I'm the executive director of the Progress Network. We're bringing together constructive public voices. You can find out more about us at theprogressnetwork.org. And uh, since we're going to be talking about, among other things, social media today, uh, you can also find us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, see what we have to say on those channels. So today I'm with Robert Wright. He's a Progress Network member, uh, author and writer. He's written several books. Most recently. Why Buddhism is True. Uh, He runs the Non-Zero Foundation and writes the Non-Zero Newsletter, which I highly recommend uh, signing up for. And he also runs Blogging Heads TV and Meaning of Life TV, uh, where he and other contributors talk politics, foreign affairs, philosophy, spirituality. It's really sort of an idea paradise. So I also uh, recommend checking that out. Um, So Bob, welcome. Thanks for being with us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we're obviously in this very intense political moment, um, intense political few years. And you've been talking since at least 2016, if not prior to that, um, about tribalism, uh, specifically about tribalism on social media. So I want to talk about that problem and then we're also going to talk about solutions because I really want people to get an idea of how they can affect change for this in their own behavior, in their own lives. Mm -hmm. So to start with the problem, uh, you wrote an article recently for your newsletter called uh, Tips for Avoiding a Civil War, which I really, really, really liked, uh, shared, very helpful for people. Um, And in that, you laid out the problem, intertribal positive feedback cycle. Uh, What does that mean? And why do you think it's important enough to write about?
1: Well, you know, it starts with, uh, I guess, two technological facts. One is that uh, smartphone cameras are increasingly pervasive. Uh, The other is that social media allows you to get any image, including any video snippet, to anyone uh, who would be interested in it and increasingly to the people who are most interested in it and most emotionally intense in their reactions to it. So uh, basically what you get is that if if you think of the current kind of political alignment as two tribes, pro-Trump and anti-Trump, each tribe on social media tends to see the worst behavior of the other tribe. Mm -hmm. So if somebody with a MAGA hat is refusing to wear a face mask in a supermarket and throwing a fit and seeming irrational—that stands a pretty good chance of being captured on video and then being uh, spread through social media to, um, you know, anti-Trumpers who are going to be most outraged by it. Uh, you know, you saw this during the, um, in a slightly different way during the during the protests. Um, People on the left tended to see the worst instances of police brutality, uh, you know, in in response to to the protests. Uh, People on the right tended to see the most unruly, uh, law-breaking protesters. So, um, and, and, you know, it's kind of natural to kind of assume, I mean, especially if you're already unfavorably disposed toward the other tribe, which is our predicament today. Um, you are inclined uh, to think of the of the horribly behavior pers- uh, horribly behaving person you're seeing from the other tribe as typical of that tribe, or at least as more typical than they actually are. Are, so are we that, sure or they're they're not typical? Um, I think I can say in the case of uh, people smashing when protesters smashing windows, they're not typical, or there would be more broken windows. We can say in the case of police seeming to kind of try to like push forward with a car to the point of running over a protester. That's not typical. I mean, I think, I think we probably would have seen it every time that happened and I saw it once or twice. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know exactly how typical these things are or, you know, or how representative uh, the sentiments they embody are. Uh, I mean, for example, there is a lot of uh, resistance to wearing masks out there. Um, I don't, I don't think a ton, but in any event, uh, even if you look at those people, uh, very few of them are gonna just throw a fit in the supermarket, right? That, I think that's pretty atypical behavior. <laughs> so, you know, and so the the, the, the the antipathy just gets amped up and up and up and up. The, the more evidence you see that seems to justify hating the other side, um, the, 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 the more you're going to be, the more people in your own tribe are going to behave in ways that provoke hatred, right? Because they're, they're going to get amped up and a few of them are going to misbehave and so on. So it's, it's yeah, that that's what I meant by kind of a positive feedback cycle.
0: Hmm. And just to clarify for people, I mean, we're not talking about video footage that really needs to be seen. I mean, you know, George Floyd comes to mind. It was recorded. People saw what happened. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something that's a little bit different, right?
1: yeah I think there there are a lot of upsides to the pervasiveness of video, um including um exposing true true cases of horrible behavior by police. I mean, I do think we still have to be careful in not assuming that any given act by any given police officer is representative of police officers broadly. but it's definitely um a blessing in that regard that uh police uh, have more trouble now getting away with brutality than 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 they did. And believe me, it's it's a lot harder for them now um, than it was 20 or 30 years ago. That's a good thing. There are a lot of upsides. And and I'm I'm not like a Luddite. I don't I'm not here to tell you that on balance this technological environment is worse than the one I grew up with, although I do Mm. get nostalgic at times. But I definitely see real downsides to the old the old environment. I'm just saying that this particular uh dynamic i've tried to highlight is negative in ways that are worth keeping in mind
0: mm. yeah i mean you know it's a catchy title the the article that i mentioned tips for avoiding civil war but um, do you really think that that's the direction that we're heading in with this positive feedback cycle
1: um I, I think i mean first of all i don't think we would be likely to see a classic civil war of kind of a bunch of states against a bunch of other states because for one thing red state versus blue state is a huge oversimplification most red states are at least 35% blue most blue mm. states are at least 35% red it, it, the split is more of an urban rural uh, or small urban small town urban rural split than a, than a, a really a red state blue state split um but i do think if the question is could you have a, a level of civil conflict including a fair amount of killing like some killing every day and ongoing killing that's way worse than anything in my lifetime. I think the answer is yes. I think, I think probably it won't happen, but I think kind of super bad outcomes are worth worrying about, even if they're not probable at low probability, catastrophic events are worth worrying about. Um, and, and so, you know, that's why I, I just think it's worth, uh, you know, calling attention to the way we can all unwittingly become part of the problem just by reacting the way humans normally react to things, you know.
0: And in the context of social media, when you say react, I mean, we're, we're literally talking about liking it, sharing it, commenting, like, fuck those guys or whatever it is that you might comment or saying, yeah. you know, so typical of a cop or so typical of a Black Lives Matter person or whatever it may be. Right. Um, which brings us into the solutions part, because, you know, this, I think that sometimes when people talk about, about politics, it kind of feels like these, all these forces that are outside of our control, or even when people talk about the problems with social media, it feels like it's something that we're not actively contributing to when maybe we are. Um, so what are the, what are the solutions? What, what, what kind of behavior can we instill in ourselves so that we don't add to this problem or at least ameliorate this problem?
1: Well, for starters, uh, there's a word I know you'll be familiar with since you were at, at Tricycle Magazine for a while, but uh, it's mindfulness. Uh, in this case, that uh, doesn't have to involve meditation. I'm, a, I'm an advocate of mindfulness meditation, but at a minimum, I'd suggest that when you're on social media, uh, before you retweet something or like something, uh, or before you weigh in and comment, on something, uh, especially before you comment antagonistically toward someone, um, uh, you know, kind of talking back to them, um, pause and tr- and try to reflect on what you're feeling, the feelings that are motivating the temptation to retweet, to share, to, to like, whatever, um, and ask yourself if it's a feeling that you should trust. You know, if, if, if the feeling is you know, if you see that video of, uh, of of the person freaking out in the supermarket and going, yeah, those assholes, let's show the world what assholes they are. I mean, I'd be suspicious of that. I'd say, wait a second, how many of them actually are like that? And is it productive? What's going to happen as a result of this? I mean, mm. clearly, even if I am a, a conscious that this is not highly typical behavior. If I share it, lots of people will see it and some of them will think it is highly typical behavior. So I'd say, um, you know, think about the larger dynamic you're feeding into, reflect on the feelings that are motivating you and, and ask yourself if the feeling itself is really cause to do what the feeling is telling you to do. I mean, my own view is you should only do things uh, that makes sense, you know, uh, I don't mean you, you, can afford to govern your whole life, you know, like, like, uh, reflecting on every, uh, you know, every sandwich before you eat it. Uh,
0: but, well, if you're a monastic, I guess.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, and I'm not monastic, uh, but, but I, I applaud, uh, I applaud monastic types. Um, but I, I do think, you know, it, it's basically just try to be calm and circumspect and rational, and don't make the problem worse, for starters. Just, just And that's in the case of your individual reaction to something on social media.
0: Hey, it's Emma. They say you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do in your daily life, how are you going to make the time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with everything everywhere daily, you can easily make that goal an actual reality. Everything Ever Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts and a top three history podcast. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. Fans of the show are so passionate that you even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who have listened to every single one of the show's more than a thousand and counting episodes. All of the episodes are informative, interesting, and best of all, always under 15 minutes. So go ahead, learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. We're the hosts of Political Breakdown, a show that pulls back the curtain on the people and forces driving politics in the Golden State from KQED in San Francisco.
0: And now, ahead of the 2024 election,
1: we are bringing you even more. More conversations with the top movers and shakers at the state capitol and in national politics. But the dyslexia was the greatest gift that ever happened to me. Nothing was rote, nothing was linear. I had to work around things, work differently, see the world differently. And I say that to young people and say, know how important your participation is. And I think it's a time for this generation to put forward new voices. More reporting with analysis. It's been a very good session for organized labor. But hot there was labor summer. Hot labor summer. It's turning out to be a nice fall as well. More politics with personality. I've sweat election day my entire life. Right? <laughs> 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 we, we hear that. <laughs> Political breakdown daily. Every weekday, we'll break down what's happening and why it matters. With news that informs, surprises, and maybe even inspires you. Political Breakdown goes daily, starting January 8th.
0: I guess if you're not just going by the feeling of, oh, this is going to feel nice when I share this, and I feel correct in thinking that these people refusing to wear masks are terrible democratic citizens or whatever you may think. I guess the argument from there is like, Maybe it is productive to share this so that I can show people that this is an issue. Don't people need to know that this is an issue?
1: You know, sometimes I think so. I, I think a good example of a tough case is um, like, say, uh, violence during protests by either side or, or say, I mean, so so uh, so on the one hand, people associated with a protest who are, uh, who are destroying property or engaging in violence. On the other hand, say maybe Trump supporters who are armed and are marching menacingly toward a protest, you know? Um, we need to know that those things are happening. And, and, and you know, I, I guess the kind of question I ask in situations like that is, is there any danger in the current environment of, of an appreciable number of people not winding up knowing this is happening? Usually the answer is no, uh, with things like this, given the, given the current environment. So I usually just hold off. I'm not saying I'm doing a whole lot of good by holding off. Um, you know, in terms of actually doing good, um, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm prouder of myself if I do something like, uh, you know, criticize somebody I I mean especially like a major you know social media potentate with a lot of followers who seem to be kind of like grifters you know they're exploiting the current emotional environment to amass followers sure yeah Mm -hmm. and 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 and, and they're basically depict I mean sometimes they'll say things like typical Trump supporter or you know when that's just clearly not true then I then I like to weigh in and say you know that's, this is obviously not a typical Trump supporter and it is not productive to do this. Or uh, another another case of criticizing um, people that are roughly on my side of the political spectrum, at least in the sense of being left of center. Um, you know, when I saw those videos of, there've been a couple of, of ra- rounds of this where protesters uh, presumed to be associated with, with Black Lives Matter in some sense of the term are like harassing diners or going in and demanding that diners, you know, hold up their hands in support of something or other. I mean, A, I really don't approve of like coercing people into publicly expressing opinions. Mm. A, b, I think this kind of thing just helps Trump. It fits right into his narrative. And, and, and so I, I like to point out that kind of thing. Like, I'll say this, you know, this is just a gift, a gift to Trump when you're doing this. Um, and, and look, I don't have uh, enough social media clout to, um, on any given day, like, make the difference between the life of the republic and the death of the republic. But I just think we all have to, you know, take seriously what influence we have. That's the way we conduct our, our lives generally, right? I mean, if you see somebody, you can help. Uh, who's who's suffering it's only one person if you were bill gates it would seem trivial cuz he can help millions but you still help them cuz that that's what you can do mm. uh, so
0: um I mean, it sounds like really what you're advocating for is this sort of like collective pause, it, you know, to to get into the Buddhism a little bit. It reminds me of this one teacher who had a something called the third moment method. And he was talking about like, if someone's really pissing you off, um, you take three moments before you react. Mm-hmm. Um, and this seems like that plus like a dose of critical thought so that we're engaging a little bit more well, mindfully, uh, on social media than we're used to. Um,
1: yeah, it's just pause and reflect. It's not easy, though. And, and that's partly because some of these emotions are so subtle. I mean, sometimes it's just flat out, I hate that guy. That's that's, even that's not always easy to re- recognize. But 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 sometimes it's just like the feeling is more like this is the right thing to do. That mm-hmm. was bad behavior. I'm bringing it to light. I am serving justice, and you need to ask more questions um, of yourself before you can come anywhere near being sure that you know it is. This is for the greater good. I mean, I, I do think you know, as you know, that if you do uh, practice mindfulness meditation and 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 it works for you, you can actually get better at this and better at even detecting. Um, some of the subtler emotions and better at not following them, you know, better because they, they really take effect fast and motivate your behavior within a ne- very narrow time frame. And the more you are in the practice of being mindful, the easier it will be to recognize that a given a decision or a thought or perception is, in fact, being colored, if not governed by a feeling.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you, where do you see? And this is very apropos of the moment. Uh, misinformation fitting into this, like posts that are misinformation, because um, I don't engage very much politically online. Um, I do well, I'm like
1: very to... wise. You are wise beyond <laughs> your years,
0: or I'm just tired <laughs> or lazy. <laughs> um i do try to fact check people because i I don't want to get into a political debate but i i think that if you're going to hold political views you should should at least have the correct facts at hand. um but also i see myself being a little bit trigger happy and fact checking the other side a little bit more than fact Mm -hmm. checking my own side because i don't want to see i don't want to seem like i'm unsupportive um which is sort of a dual question so let's first say how do you see misinformation fitting into this and then uh sort of, yeah, pushing back against that feeling of, oh, I'm doing something bad to my tribe if I push back on this or if I make a critical statement or fact check.
1: Well, as for misinformation, um, I think often one of the main things that's spreading it is the cognitive bias known as confirmation bias, which a lot of people have heard of. It's like uh, we are naturally attracted to information that seems to confirm our pre-existing worldview. Uh, We are uh, less likely to seize on facts and even averse to facts that seem to contradict our worldview. It's a natural human tendency, you know, and that too. I mean, one of the, one of the insights from Buddhism that modern psychology has, I think, really corroborated is how finally the feelings are intertwined with thoughts and perceptions. And if you pay close attention uh, to your behavior on social media, you'll see that a feeling is driving uh, confirmation bias. If you see a fact that yeah, that fits in, that's what I've been saying. That confirms what I've been saying. You'll feel that like you're like falling in love with it. You have a <laughs> positive feeling toward the thing. You 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 thirst for it. You cling to it. These are like it's 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 an infrastructure of feelings.
0: I'm right. It feels good. I'm so and right. It feels good.
1: Yeah. And if you see if you see information that seems at odds with your your worldview. It'll make you kind of feel uncomfortable and you'll start searching for reasons not to believe it, mm-hmm. searching for reasons to discredit it, which may exist. That's certainly possible. But uh, we we tend to exaggerate them uh, just as just as we are uncritical when we see information that supports our worldview. So for, for starters, I'll say that misinformation, too, is something is a problem that can be um, uh, addressed somewhat through mindfulness or, or just leave aside that. just. Pausing and reflecting. Um, now that leads to what isn't exactly the other question you asked, but is related. Which is, um, but if my tribe does this and the other doesn't, isn't that like unilateral disarmament? Um, that's a tough question. I mean, first of all, you could there is the argument that like in the long run, truth is a good thing, um, and lie you know, thing uh, misinformation and disinformation are not. Um, But it's also true that given the current political polarization, um, there's, I think, a separate uh, reason to try to fight misinformation, which is just that um, often, I'm not saying always, but often when your tribe is spreading the misinformation and clinging to it, you're ultimately going to reinforce the narrative of the other tribe. I -hmm. mean, every time... Uh, the anti-Trump side, take something Trump says that's kind of ambiguous and on and close examination doesn't really justify the worst reading of it. Every time they take something like that and do the worst reading of it um, and spread that, if you go look at the social media of the Trump side, they're like doing the close reading of it and giving you reasons to say once again, those anti-Trumpers are lying about us. Mm. So I think fairly often, um, unilateral disarmament, so to speak, in, in the sense of fighting the misinformation spreading on your own side, can actually be good for your own side.
0: Okay. And and what about that, that other question? Is it just coming down to being a little bit brave in pushing back against your own side when you see an error or something like you're saying that you were talking about before where it doesn't match your values um you know like you mentioned uh protesters talking about murdering cops in your article
1: um yeah there there was a uh there was a case in uh it was in dc and some speaker again it was i guess this was a blm protest some speaker was going like um you know basically the only uh, you know it's time to start killing cops he had the microphone. He wasn't getting a very favorable reception, but he had the microphone. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of thing uh, should absolutely be denounced. I don't think I don't I don't think it takes much, as much courage to denounce that as it does to denounce some other things. But um, again, you know that that's a case. Whenever you can accurately point out that something someone's doing probably. Is helping the other side, you know, reinforcing their caricature of your side. I think that's a good way to put it to people. Now, it's also I just think morally wrong to kill people, including <laughs> Right, but, uh, and 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 that's a fine thing to say too. But you know, the broader question: Does it take uh, courage to push back against your own tribe? It does, and I often find it lacking in myself. I often, I often don't push back when I should. Um, I really don't, I really don't like uh, people hating me, you know, and that's, well, yeah, who does, who does, and, 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 and it comes, it seems to be, it seems to come so fast and so intensely on social media. Now, as we all spend more years on social media, I think it's, it's easier to get some perspective. Like I'm I used to be super sensitive to what commenters said when I first started doing online videos like 15 years ago. And now I just I just don't. It it barely touches me. And I I think maybe we're all growing uh, thicker skin in that regard or or um, can try to. But um, I I think, you know, the fear is something you, you need to fight in that case.
0: Yeah. And like we're saying, approaching it with a little bit more of a, a cool head, because I know from myself and others, like when I do decide to engage politically, politically on social media, it does end up with this like stomach churning, heart beating. It just feels really
1: icky. Yeah. Now, th- again, that's the case where in principle, mindfulness meditation could help you deal with that, maybe even overcome it, but it's absolutely natural uh, for it to be an issue.
0: Yeah, um, and I want to say too. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're filming this uh, before the election. This might come out after the election. I mean, is this going to poof disappear if Biden wins? Is this suddenly like we don't need to worry about this anymore?
1: No, I don't think so. I think um, you know the, the 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 partisan polarization had been growing for some time before Trump. Mm. Um. And uh, some of the themes, you know, the idea that some of Trump's themes, liberals are snooty coastal elites who don't care about common Americans. I was hearing those thirty years ago from from uh, Republicans like Dan Quayle, um, and and probably Newt Gingrich. Um, and Democrats have 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 often been uh, irresponsible. The problem has been getting worse and worse. I don't think it's going to go away overnight. I think it has been in some ways intensified. By social media, I hope we'll get better at figuring out how to deal with social media. In some cases, maybe even govern them, uh, but or at least develop new norms um, that that help us uh, deal with them. But um, I don't think it's going away, especially since you know Trump, as of now, as we tape this, Trump is laying the groundwork to call any loss by him illegitimate and, and, uh, you know, a rigged and, and a rigged election and all that. Um, so, and he's not going away. It, mm. it, it, even if he loses, uh, I don't think he's going to get off of Twitter. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I, do think, I do think the good thing is it will be much easier if he's no longer president for the other side to resist his bait. Mm. We, just we just won't care as much. And, and, and I, and I think even, that it may just may become explicit i i suspect that if he loses the word will go out on social media and there will be something like agreement uh by by progressives i think that's at least a possibility like just we're better off ignoring him unless he crosses a whole new line and he's crossed so many now um you know how likely is that but <laughs>
0: Um, You know, one thing I wanted to say is that you're talking about maybe we'll get used to social media and some norms will come into play. Maybe they'll be a little bit more regulated. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, um, but I feel like I do see some signs of at least attempts by social media organizations to govern Mm -hmm. the field of chaos a little bit when before there was absolutely nothing. And it's certainly not great now, but it does seem to be a little bit like we're ever so slowly starting to... Turn around on that a little bit.
1: The social media companies are doing some things, but I think what they're not doing is contemplating <laughs> the actual sacrifice of revenue. By, by which I mean, <laughs> sure. at least in, in in significant degree. By which I mean, you know, if you ask why do the algorithms drive some of this tribalization, it's because the algorithms maximize engagement. They want to keep me. Online, keep me clicking, retweeting, sharing. Um, and if your algorithm is designed to do that and that alone without constraint, it is going to appeal to people's emotions. And that, especially in the current political environment, is going to include a lot of unproductive and, and even counterproductive emotions. And, um, you know, at a minimum, what I would like to see is uh, algorithm transparency that is to say uh, just a law i mean we sometimes forget we actually have the power to regulate corporations mm. just a law that uh, dictates that they show us all the code and then um and then uh, uh create uh, an api i guess that stands for what uh, something programming interface but anyway the Automated? Is what, it would, what what it would allow is um, third-party companies, like, see, what I would like to have is, like, uh, uh, dials, like, just, just be able to, uh, you know, have a little slider bars on my screen on Twitter, like, say, I want to see less stuff that'll politically outrage me, or I want to mm. see less violence, or I want to follow um, fewer people like this. It, it could go along any number of dimensions, but the point is what, what should be possible is for third-party software companies to create a dashboard like that. And then there would be competing dashboards and, mm. and, and, and and at least give us the power to fiddle with the algorithm. Why shouldn't we have that power? I mean, uh, and and, uh, and then now that doesn't mean that everyone uh, would use it wisely. Maybe a few people would say, I'm going to get more revved up and angry than I am, but I, I don't think so. And I, and I think we have a right to know uh, what's in the algorithms, not that just seeing the code would give many of us much of a clue. Uh, but, but
0: people would translate it for those. They would translate it, yeah.
1: and moreover, these these uh, the people who took advantage of the API to build the software, the the uh, the dashboards would be allowing us to make practical use of the transparency of the algorithm in ways we see fit.
0: Mm. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think there there needs to be bigger solutions. In the meantime, this is why we were talking about what we were talking about today, that what what you can do just as a regular Joe Schmo while we wait for the benevolent gods of uh, Twitter and Facebook and so on to be a little bit more publicly conscious uh, (laughs) in the way that they run things. Um, Well, that's it for me. Bob, do you have any other thoughts uh, running through your mind that you'd like to share about this?
1: The only other thing I'd encourage people to resist is engaging with people from the other tribe antagonistically Mm. i think you can do a real service if you engage uh you know with best intentions honestly trying to understand where they come from what their perspective is and uh because what that can do is lead at least one person in the other tribe to think i guess they're not all assholes over there um and then that's that's uh progress
0: which uh, does require the assumption that you go into that interaction, not assuming that the other person you're talking to is an asshole,
1: which seems right. hard these days. Right, exactly, assume the best. You may, you know, you may be wrong. They may be an asshole, but but you have to go in there with the intention of even if they act like an asshole, not responding in kind. Con- I mean, it, it's just hard to to imagine what actual good comes of that. I mean. You just make them matter, and, and, and how mad they are is already part of the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a call to be bigger than our own emotions. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bob, thank you so much for your time. I really okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. To find out more information about The Progress Network and what could go right, visit theprogressnetwork.org. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening with The Progress Network. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. What Could Go Right is hosted by Zachary Carabell and me, Emma Lucas. We're produced by Andrew Steven. Jordan Aaron is our production coordinator. Executive produced by Jeff Umbreau and The Podglomerate. Thanks so much for listening.